Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Cloud ninth, euphoria as Newcastle hit the top half of the table. No regrets for Rafa, Benitez demonstrates a philosophical attitude and comic timing. And friend of the show, Rutzler the Relegator returns, only now he's Peter the Promoter and George is tasting the sweetest humble pie in history. Yes, this is Pod on the Tyne, I am Taylor Payne and with me today, the Athletics Newcastle correspondent Chris Woff, uh, senior writer George Colton, will be here in a bit, but we've had a bit of a job getting everybody in the same place at the same time today, so for now Chris, it's just me and thee. How the devil are you Chris Woff, what is going on in the world, black is white, up is down, cats and dogs living together in harmony, Newcastle United are ninth in the league, I don't know what the hell is happening in the universe. Well, I am drunk on winning, and I am also... <laughs> Just drunk. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Basking in the yellow and green glory of Carrow Road, and I'm not referring to Norwich City, I'm referring to the Brazilian flags that were draped everywhere. Oh, Eddie Howe's Samba Mags. <laughs> My God. It's incredible, isn't it? What the, What's going on, Chris? I, I, I just can't quite... I, 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 you know what I'm on? waiting for, Taylor? I'm waiting for the Athletic to give me a phone call one day and say, you know, your team's winning now. We need to bring in someone who's used to winning rather than someone who's just used to reporting yeah. on complete crap. I'm expecting that to happen any day now because I can't get my head around it. So I can't even imagine what fans are like. Newcastle United's Brazil correspondent, Mr. Chris Woff. <laughs> <laughs> World Cup final. Off you here, go to Rio. We come. I've already, I've already got. Yeah, I've already got. I've already got the eighteenth of December put into my diary, ready for for that. Outstanding. Um, let's start with the uh, the game against Crystal Palace because we never really had the chance to speak about that. Uh, Wednesday gone, um, winning ugly again after the Leicester uh, uh, the Leicester victory and Miggy Almiron with. I mean, it was a peach, wasn't it? Let's be honest. What an absolute beaut that goal was. Everything about the goal, I mean, I, I actually analysed it for, for the Athletic UK, which you can go and uh, read online. But basically, from the start of it, it, show, nice it showed a bit of everything. Thank you. showed a bit of everything about Eddie Howe's Newcastle United just before the, just before the, the goal, um, the phase the of play for the goal. Basically, Newcastle are winding up Wilfried Zahars. They did all game, which shit was housing. shit housing. Exactly. Wonderful yeah. to see. You had Kraft doing yeah. it all match, all match. Little digs in the yeah. back of him, little niggles. Brilliant. And Wilfried Zahar just kept getting wound up. Uh, Miguel Almiron got involved in that one, as did Bruno Gimmeresh, who obviously were both involved in the goal. So then Kraft tries to buy about 20 yards for the for the throw, and eventually he's forced back a little bit, but he still bought a little bit of time on the pitch. Yeah, Throws yeah. the ball to Bruno, and then the way that he touches it, as, he, as he's then swinging around to play, that through ball to, to Almiron wonderful ball but then Almiron still got so much to do oh man yeah incredible I'll be honest as he's going through on goal I'm thinking nah he doesn't fancy this he doesn't usually fancy it I mean he I thought he really showed up left back um who obviously Mitchell who's been in the England England squad but I think that Almiron showed a lot of strength I thought he was quite weak Mitchell but then Almiron gets to the right hand edge of the box and then just absolutely whips that ball and what a what a wonderful finish it was absolutely brilliant to watch and so yeah 
there's no goalkeeper saving that, is there? It was right up in the corner where the spiders live, wasn't it? It was a beautiful finish. And you just don't stop those. But that pass from Bruno, the entire crowd was just drooling over him for the whole game uh, against Crystal Palace. He was something else, wasn't he? And he's he's proven himself week after week what a quality player he is and what an investment Newcastle have made there. Yeah, I mean, even all that drool being on the pitch didn't stop him from being able to get all the way around. It was just, <laughs> he, was just, he, was still, he was still still looked like he was just gliding across, across the surface. But but I, I think I just the the Almiron goal was so special because the moment as well that celebration you could just see he was desperate for that goal it was thirty odd games since he'd scored and just to go and yeah he gets his shirt off and then jumps into the crowd and I love gets that to just absolutely wonderful I know he gets booked Chris but I don't care. And I, I, I would have done exactly the same. I mean, it wouldn't have looked as good if I'd done it. <laughs> I think people in the front row would have been Somebody... moving back for that. <laughs> Somebody appears to have filled a bin bag with coleslaw and it's running around the pitch. <laughs> That's what it would have looked like. Oh, but bless him. Yeah, fuck it. I'm taking my shirt off. I don't care. I've scored. Let's see what happens. Uh, I love the fact that he ran away from the club photographer, though. <laughs> he ran to the opposite side of the pitch. and she'd, Serena took loads of photos of him running away yes, from her, which yeah. is brilliant. Uh, yeah, but I'm absolutely made up for Miggy. I mean, he's he's apparently very popular in the dressing room. Eddie Howe was, was gushing in his praise about him after the game and how made up he was for him and stuff like that. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's lovely to see the lad get a goal and hopefully it gives him that little confidence boosting going forward as well um, we, we've spoke about the good stuff we spoke about the, the passing and the goals and stuff like that but I have to say as well Chris at the back and organisationally speaking we must be one of the best teams in the league without the football we spoke about, I mean we spoke about this in the past where Newcastle hated having the football but at the minute it looks as though they almost relish in the art of trying to keep the other team out and they're very very good at it aren't they they, they are and that I mean the second half against Palace wasn't an easy watch by any stretch of the imagination but for all of the ball that Palace had because uh, it's half I don't know I've tried to find the, the, the stats for second half possession I haven't got them but I know that first half Newcastle had about 62% possession by the end of the game they'd had about 30 so that shows you how much I mean Palace there was points where Newcastle there was one stage where Newcastle was so deep that when Murphy cleared the ball Joe Willick ran to the halfway line to try and meet it and Gaeta, their goalkeeper, managed to get there before because Newcastle was so deep <laughs> in terms of they're being forced yeah. back and they couldn't keep hold of the ball. And over time, that's obviously what you want to see them progress and improve to. But even all of the ball that Palace had, they didn't really disrupt Newcastle and there's been game after game like that. And yeah. The Spurs game is looking more and more like the aberration that we hoped it was going to be. I've got I've got some stats here because I'm writing a big piece at the moment on basically how Newcastle have, have turned the season around and survived. And they've gone from conceding 80 top flight goals in 2021, the most ever by a Premier League side in the calendar year, including 18 in Howe's first nine matches, to just 13 in 15 games in 2022 so far. They've had six clean sheets and seven of their 11 victories under Howe have been by a one-goal margin, which just shows you that, 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 that it, that's what it's built. This is built on defence, and we're going to speak to, to Pete Rutzler about this later on, about the differences at, at Bournemouth, and the, the team who conceded 60 goals in every Premier League season, Eddie Howe was there. At Newcastle, this this revival has been built on defence and defensive solidity and just how good Newcastle are without the ball. They have been, and also there's been players moved uh, in and out of that first eleven for the Norwich game as well. We'll come on to that in a second, but everybody who seems to slot into position and everyone who's uh, who's brought in to do a job seems to do that job, and they understand their roles within the team. Um, it, it's great to see, and there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of um, wingers in there at the minute. Everyone's pulling together, everyone's up for the task in hand, um, and you would almost think, you know, they've kind of secured safety now, but they, they don't seem to be taking their feet off the gas, do they? No, I mean, how before the match said that uh, we're playing a lot of teams who have a lot to play for. Obviously Norwich were trying to uh, avoid relegation. They're going to be playing Liverpool and Man City in the coming weeks. They're going to be playing Arsenal going for top four. But Howe said we are playing for something. We're playing for Newcastle United. And that was a great sound bite, but equally it was words. You've got to go and then do it and you've got to get it's not just he 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 almost certainly does believe that because he's someone who's just he's so dedicated, he's so diligent, he desired to win. But to make sure that your players are in that mindset as well, given where they've come from, to have basically achieved their season objective early and then to go again, yeah, it's, it's been excellent to see. And Sean Longstaff spoke after the Norwich game and he, he basically, because he obviously hasn't started that many matches, and he said that 
that the players outside the team don't have the discontent you would necessarily think. Yes, they're, they're good at that they're not playing, but equally, the way that Howe is with them, the way that he's improving each of the players who aren't even playing, but the, the, the levels that he's he's risen everyone to, that sort of positivity within the camp. And yes, it's easy to say that at the minute because they're winning, but that has been basically the murmurings ever since Eddie Howe yeah. has come in. And to see the fruits of that labour and to see those players who come in and to say it didn't, the team didn't suffer because of that. Jamal Lascelles came in defence and although to be fair he didn't have that much to do he, he he was he was solid in there Sean Longstaff I thought did well in parts uh, yeah. there's some nice passes there certainly in terms of his off the ball work again showed loads of energy Jacob Murphy had a part in two of the goals and, yes he did yeah he was uh, good and so, so you, you've got all of those different players coming in there Joe Willock obviously as well I think was hit and miss to an extent but still he's, he's that one who can drive forward with the ball so Newcastle seemingly have options now which they haven't in a while, or at least they have players who can come in and out, and that and that that's great to see. And it's just yeah, that he manages to make four changes, and that doesn't really stop them breaking stride. Absolutely not. Let's talk about that Norwich game in a little bit more detail. Then three um, nil away from home. I mean, it's a comprehensive victory in the uh, in the Norfolk sunshine. What a lovely old afternoon uh, Joe Linton had, didn't he? I always said that Blad was a striker. And there he is, turning up with his two goals. I tell you what, that first goal was an absolute dinger, wasn't it? He caught that beautifully. And one of the things we've said about him in the past is that he looks like he rushes a little bit when he gets a chance, and maybe his the way he strikes the ball hasn't always looked the best. He didn't off clatter that, and it went flying in the top corner past Tim Kroll. What what an afternoon for him. He looked like he had a brilliant time. He did. I mean... Alan St. Maxman somehow gets an assist for that as well for his misplaced pass to Sean Longstaff. He's been desperate Amazing. for an assist. Because, but but in, ter- in terms of Joel Linton, you mentioned it before the game when he was starting up front. I, we are, we have a conversation with, with uh, an editor who's on the desk about what we might think we might do in the in the sort of piece, and we have a little chat. And I was on, yeah. I was having a little message chat, and I, and I, I always when Joel Linton's playing up front, actually sometimes he's in midfield, I just say to the editor, "Oh, Joel Linton's going to get a hat trick today," and my editor put a, put a pound on him at a hundred to one. And so was absolutely oh, wow. furious when Addie Howe took him off. Furious. When he, got, when he went off. But but actually, I mean, you say that Joe Linton got two up front. He actually got two when he moved out to the left. So it was actually both as good. <laughs> no, Chris, don't. No, come on. Don't spoil Don't spoil the uh, the fantasy. Joe Linton scored two goals as a forward. That's what we're going <laughs> yes, to say. Yes, a forward, right? Yes, left side of forward. I mean, yes. it was, it, it, don't start getting pedantic now, Chris. But in, initially, the, the ideas that, that Eddie Howe had for, for Joe Linton before that that Norwich game that we've spoken about when Kieran Clark was sent off and he was moved back to play as a number eight was that Joe Linton would be a forward. He started in the first match. He started wide on the right. In the second match... Uh, and then in the few after that, he was like a second striker essentially behind Callum Wilson, and we'd had seen improvement in him there as well. And Eddie Howe spoke so positively about him after the game, saying how he has so much versatility in terms of what he can bring now, and he gives him different options. And he did look excellent. I mean, I will caveat everything I'm about to say by once Newcastle scored, Norwich just fell apart and looked like it. I mean, they just oh, yeah. looked defeated. Yeah, yeah. They looked like a team who obviously have been. They're in down on yeah. They're a team that. Yeah, and the heads just completely dropped. And so it was actually. If I hadn't been there and it been positive from Newcastle point of view, as a neutral, it would have been pretty painful to watch because they were that bad at times. Yeah. But Joe Linton was excellent and he took the first goal so well. And the second one, he showed what we haven't seen from him so much previously. So when we said he doesn't seem to have that instinct. desire to get the yeah. instinct and desire to get in the box to follow it in. Yeah. Um. And obviously Murphy goes to shoot. The title comes across and, and Joe Linton's the one there. He's, there's no player within about 15 yards of him because he's decided to make that run, got beyond beyond the defence. And scored, so it was absolutely wonderful. See, Chris, man, he's, he's total football, Chris. <laughs> he is total football. He could slot him in with a Dutch team in the, in the 70s. There he is, Joe Linton, playing every single position you can imagine. Well, I mean, the, 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 he can do anything, man. I know, I know a lot of people are saying, <laughs> will he get in the Brazil squad? And, and maybe the Brazil squad's already decided. But if you, in terms of that vers- versatility, if you're at the World Cup in in, in, hey, in yeah. November, December, and you have could have Joe Linton in there, and you, you could cover in midfield, yeah. he could play anywhere across the front line. Again, absolutely. that's just a, a thought as to... And he is playing He is playing so well at the moment that, that you wouldn't, you would not put a pass on the transformation. And he, and as I wrote about after the game I mean the two of them and we're going to get on to Bruno Gimmeresh in a second but the two of them yeah. embody the the sort of revival in Newcastle the change under Eddie Howe you've had the renaissance the rebirth of Joe Linton he's the he's the the, the strongest the example renaissance. the Joe Renaissance yeah the, 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 he's the strongest example of the improvement that Howe has brought out of individual players and then Bruno Gimmeresh yeah. is the the example of what January injected into this squad and into this side 
because he was just oh, absolutely. actually I've got one I've got one concern about Bruno though and I, I want to tell you this is I'm a little bit worried that he lacks confidence a lad I know I know it just it... <laughs> I'm trying to go with that I tried to be so serious when you did that sorry that's just bollocks isn't it Chris he's just he's just got it all hasn't he I haven't I don't I, I said this to the guy sitting next to me at the Palace game I don't think I've seen a player like that at St James's Park in black and white for for as long as I can remember, and I'm and probably going back to the days of Rob Lee and Gary Speed, um, somebody who just looks like I said that the the guy I was talking to him, I said it looks as if he's been given an advanced copy of the script of the game, so that he knows what's coming before it before it happens. Do you know what I mean? And there was times when he when he got the ball and he just looked he, even if he had players on his back, he looked like he had all the time in the world. Uh, on Sunday against Norwich, I just I just kept pinching myself and thinking, how the hell does he play for Newcastle United? How is that possible? And besides his goal, his goal was incredible. It's beautiful. We'll talk about that in a second. His all-round play and the way he just glides around the midfield, wanting the ball constantly. The passes he plays in the channels behind the full-backs, the one that he set Murphy away early doors where Murphy put it wide. The pass he played through for the for what eventually led to Joel Linton's second goal. Just the things he does with the ball. The ball with the outside of his foot to Matt Ritchie in the second half. Like, you don't see, like, you don't see that. Like, we know John Joel Shelby can pass a ball. You can't do that. You can't do anything like that. That was That's just a different... The, the lad is a different level. He is a different level, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that he's came to Newcastle United. He is just—he's just a beautiful footballer to watch. He is, and I mean, and like you say, it's so, so just so, so unassuming. Exactly. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he realizes how good he is. I think he needs. To, I think he needs someone needs to tell him. Yeah. But definitely. I mean, on, 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 on at Norwich, he was playing as a number six. We haven't seen him start as a number six in that deep line midfield role yet. He, he was moved there at Southampton as like in a double pivot. Yes, I got one in there. I managed to get it in. Yes. But on Saturday, for the first time, he, he's moved from that right-sided number eight position <laughs> where he's shown he can yeah. be not quite box-to-box, but certainly all action, gets up and down the pitch, brings a lot. Then he moves to the number six position and still gets around the pitch a lot, but suddenly controls it. He's the one who... In fact, the only player who had more touches was Emil Kraft, who, again, shows how important fullbacks Bizarre. are. Yeah, <laughs> shows how important fullbacks are to Eddie Howe's Newcastle, though. But, but, but you had... Everything that was he was just pulling the strings from from deep line midfield. He just he, as you say, he always seems like he's one or two steps ahead of everyone. He spots things that other people don't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wherever he plays at the moment, he he makes such a huge impact, and he how has managed him brilliantly as well. Didn't put him straight yeah. into the team. Yeah, let him get used to the pace of the Premier League. Made him really want to come in and make an impact. And bloody hell, what an impact he's made! Nobody's had more goal involvements in twenty twenty two for Newcastle United than Bruno, who's got four goals and an assist now. Third top scorer, <laughs> and when we signed him, they said he won't be bringing you goals, mind. So don't expect that. And here he is. But he's got more for Newcastle than he got for Leon, I think, in the league. It's so. amazing. It's amazing. And that that goal, the uh, obviously the you know the icing on the cake, the the little what what are we calling it, Chris? Let let uh, let's get the technical term right here. Is it a dink? I think. Is it a scoop? Whoa. Is it a chip? It's. Just, I think it's a scoop. You know, I think he scoops that. Yeah, a, a Bruno scoop. The Bruno scoop, yeah, absolutely. All the kids will be doing it in the uh, in the discotheques <laughs> up and down the northeast. <laughs> the Bruno scoop, um, yeah. But the way he latched onto that ball as well, great closing down by Joe Willock initially to to put the shits up Tim Krull, uh, who then panics slightly and plays the ball out. But Bruno's first touch, I haven't seen enough made of this. Now, I think it's better than the goal. I actually think it's better than the finish. The first touch is sexual, Christopher. <laughs> If you don't mind me using that word when it's just the two of us, it is sexual, it, Christopher. It's sexual, Christopher. It was. Imb- I'm getting all oh, flustered. God. I'm getting flustered. I'm not surprised, Chris. I'm not surprised. Um, I didn't see it at first in real time, in real speed. I didn't realise what he had done. And it's not until you watch the replay back and the angle from behind him that you see the way he rolled his studs over the ball just to take it away from the defender. Oh. God. Well, because it perfectly sets himself as well, and then he's got obviously the type. It's of, beautiful. But he actually, 
if you watch him in general play, he, he quite often does that little touch. And there's, there was yeah, some stuff yeah. on, on, on social media from people suggesting that it's sort of his futsal roots, that he, he played a lot of futsal, which for those who, who don't know what that is, he played a lot of, he played all over the world. Five-a-side, Chris. Yeah, essentially, essentially, yeah. I imagine, I imagine you'd be ideal on a futsal it's pitch. Too. It's exactly the same as when you play five-a-side <laughs> exactly, yeah. on, exactly. on a Monday night. Exactly. It's exactly the I same. I have that close control. <laughs> uh, so basically... That's what you do, yeah. yeah. Basically, it's on a smaller pitch and you have to... You have to show close control and skills and the ability to get past people, and he, and he learned to play that. And uh, my my northeast colleagues rightly took the mick out of me because in Bruno's unveiling, uh, it got to me, and I'd forgotten what my question was going to be. So I asked him about futsal, and everyone was like, "What the hell have you asked him about futsal for?" Which he gave me an all right answer for in a very boring, if you want a very technical sort of <laughs> answer. But you saw you saw those short, those sort of skills, and I, I I I don't think I've seen many of the Premier League footballers who who very often use that sort of control in the middle of the pitch. But yeah, just absolute no. genius. And then to break that finish, it was great how Howe described it. He basically said it was it was just that was just Bruno. He said he said I I, well, I wouldn't have even thought of the finish, never mind trying to to execute it. But he does it absolutely perfectly. And Tim Krull's actually stood up before he even hits the net. He's down and then back up before he even hits the yeah, net. Yeah, <laughs> he is. And he sold he sold Krull before he even got to the edge of the box he had sold Krull and, and Krull was already on his way down. And it's just so pretty. It's such a picture perfect goal. I love it. I've watched. I must have watched it about fifty times. It's just just incredible stuff. Let's move on. Another player who we who I want to talk about before we uh, before we finish. Who I think's been great. Emil Kraft on the right hand side. We spoke about him last week and how important he's been in recent weeks. And his performances have been excellent. But Matt Target on the right on the left. Sorry, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? Since he came in, he had a couple of little games where he wasn't too great and the Spurs game I think everybody in the pitch had a had a nightmare that day the Chelsea game he struggled a little bit um, but overall Matt Target's contribution has been fantastic hasn't it Chris? It has been fantastic I think the fact that left back had been such a problem position for so long for Newcastle Paul Dummett's done well when he has played there but obviously had so many injuries and for Target to have come in and settled brought that Premier League experience. He just oozes calm. He just does the right things. He doesn't do anything flashy. There's nothing mm. brilliant in terms of... Nah. We talk about Bruno and that sort of flair that he brings. It's not the same with 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 Matt Target. What he does is he's very, very competent at everything that he does. He's got a good, actually, good delivery from set pieces as well. I, t- I tell you what, he played a ball in the first half against Crystal Palace over the top for Chris Wood. Oh, yeah. When Wood was Wood was through one-on-one and missed, and he would have been onside as well if, uh, if it had gone in the net and, and gone to VAR. But that pass by target was beautiful it was shaped perfectly down that air uh, that sort of inside left channel and, and it straight into woods path the boy can kick a football honestly i mean i know that's the least we expect from these guys but <laughs> but he can he can strike a ball and he's taking corners and free kicks and stuff as well and and i i think he's doing a brilliant job and again yeah like you say he never looks flustered does he he always looks like he's got a bit of time and and he just seems to do the right thing in the simple thing yeah he does and uh, i mean i wrote about him last week as well, and I sort of did a, a quick sort of poll of uh, mm. athletic subscribers and people on Twitter, and 97.5% wanted uh, Newcastle to sign him. I mean, it wasn't a particularly unscientific poll. There were more than 6,000 people, but it was equally the day after Newcastle beating Crystal Palace. So, Who's the 2.5% who don't want to sign? I want to know who those people are so I can go and visit them personally. Well, d- d- there's, there was the, I, think, I think it was only 0.5% who said they didn't want to. I think it was then the rest of it was I uh, put an option of still to still to decide. Basically, still, still to be decided. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it is... Very much, very much so. The, the, to some extent, the article was sort, was sort of looking into to, to his situation and sort of trying to explain. Um, I mean, uh, uh, some people I think have taken it a little bit too negatively because I think it made out as if that I think some people have taken the impression that Eddie Howe isn't going to sign Matt Target and doesn't rain the hide. That was certainly not the intention. I try and not make that in the article. No, Eddie Howe was the one who signed Matt Target in the first place, and Eddie Howe likes Matt Target. But when Newcastle signed Matt Target in January. It was a very, it was well, it was a unique window. It was a very specific window in terms of what they needed and what they could get. And Newcastle are just not rushing into a decision yet. They're deciding is Matt yeah. Target the the fullback that they want and need to take them to the next level. How's talked about evolving the team? Is Matt Target that player? He may well turn out to be. Um, but for now, that they don't need to rush into that decision. That they, they they can they can speak about it. They can look at see what the alternatives may be. And I don't think any Newcastle United fan would be disappointed if Matt Target doesn't come back next season. But equally, 
the the Eddie Howe in every single department is looking to strive for better going forward. And if that means that they may be able to find an alternative to, to target, they will at least consider it. But that doesn't mean he won't sign. And as I say, I, I think that, uh, that that any Newcastle fan who's watched him over the course of the last few months would be more than happy if he was to make the move permanent. Fantastic. Chris, Did at any point in the last few weeks, did you sit here and think before that Wolves game, we will win the next four matches? Because my, my head is just blown up with this, the, the way the performances have gone. I looked at the three games after the Wolves game, um, Palace, Leicester and Norwich, and I thought, probably take four points out of that little lot and be happy with it. But to, to come away with 12 from 12 and to essentially secure safety, I mean, they couldn't have done any more, could they? It's It's been a wonderful couple of weeks. No, they couldn't have done it, but it has been wonderful. And um, I mean, they have caught me on the hop a little bit because obviously I was off for that sort of, that week between the, the, the Wolves and the Leicester game. And during then I thought, oh, you yeah. know, I've got time before I need to do a big piece on how Newcastle survived because it's going to be a little bit of time before they hit the, hit the 40 point mark. And they've just not hit the 40 <laughs> point mark. They've gone beyond <laughs> that. And blown so past I'm it. completely yeah. behind now, but that's that just shows you how, no, I did not see, I did not see this coming, but it's a, and it's the first time, it's a bit of a, this is a bit of an odd start, but it's the first time since 96-97 that Newcastle have won three or more games on at least three separate occasions in a season, which just shows as well that when Howe's sides get on a bit of a roll, they tend to back it up and get yeah. another positive result as well. Fantastic stuff. Well, let's hope they can keep it going against uh, against Liverpool at the weekend. We'll be speaking about that uh, and also former Liverpool and Newcastle manager Rafa Benitez as well in a little bit. And we'll be joined by Pete Rutzler for his take on Fulham and all things Bournemouth. We'll be back in just a moment. But before we go, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all our great writing and ad free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. Come on, you Maggie's. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, now it's time for something we prepared earlier. George has been hard at it with Alan from work, uh, and last week they caught up with an old friend. It's an interesting chat, to say the least, and one you can read in full on The Athletic. I am, of course, talking about former Newcastle manager and all-round football egghead Rafa Benitez. Uh, We were wondering whether this would be an awkward conversation, like meeting up with your ex, uh, but he quickly ended any worries in that department with a ruthless takedown of our senior writer. It's a proper ankle-breaker, this one. I'm doing an interview with the greatest journalist in the world. <laughs> Alan Shearer. <laughs> Incredibly harsh um, introduction from Rafa there, I thought, Chris. Um, he is no, capable fair, of humour. but Very fair. You think fair? Yeah. Um, it was great to see him, though, and it was brilliant to be there with Alan. We we went down to the northwest and met him in a hotel. Uh, hotel, in fact, where, where Alan... Um, Met Kenny Zaglish many years ago before he joined um, before he joined Blackburn. Anyway, we were talking about Everton. It was his first interview post Everton, so there was a lot of that kind of stuff. But we did talk about Newcastle too. How could we not? And we talked about really the the takeover and the sliding door moments about his relationship with the club. If I talk about uh, Newcastle United. It will be always good because when I was there and I had to go to China, I was waiting, but they didn't sell the club and I was yeah. waiting. 
And okay, fine, you know, something that you have to do. Later on, I was waiting and they didn't give uh, permission. Then Everton came and then I went to Everton. There was a, a great uh, project at this time. And that's it. So I think it's, uh, they are doing well. Uh, they have the, the potential. Uh, everybody is uh, now enjoying. And I'm really pleased because we have been there three years without any money and then fighting for everything. And now you can see that at least they, they can try to do something different. One of my things is that I, I, I am quite respectful, so I think they are doing a, a great job. So, and I don't need to talk about Newcastle in terms of uh, this or that. So, my relationship with the fans, with the city, with a lot of players is fine, but they are doing a great job, and uh, what I, I am doing is just to enjoy from outside. So, when he talks about permission there, of course, he's talking about the takeover not being given the go ahead to go through, but it then did go through, and Rafa, of course, was at Everton. So we'd heard that he did get a call or people close to him got a call just as the takeover happened. Was he ever tempted to, uh, to, to leave Everton and go back to Newcastle? I told the directors of Everton that they were worried about the press, saying this or that. They said, listen, if I give my word, I will try to do my best until the end. I can control what it depends on me. And I did what I have to do at this time. At least I had the same situation when I was in Newcastle. And then the club approached me and said, no, I will stay. And after they chose another manager and they were successful. And then I asked, even though I knew the answer already, um, was he not tempted at all to hang about at the end of his contract at Newcastle? Because if he'd stuck it out at St James's Park, even under Ashley, there would now surely be the perfect project waiting for him now. Anything that you could read about this uh, negotiation, it was not negotiation, it's just uh, uh, it was not interesting to, to keep me there. What I say before, the advantage that they have is that... Uh, I have been in the business for so long in different countries that I, I know what it means to create and to develop a project. And I know when I say it properly, because even in, you go to Napoli, or you go to different people that you say, you start building something and you start building from the young players in the academy, the squad that you have, the staff that you have. So you start building. And one of my main problems is that I think too much about the club. I don't think about myself. It's funny, Chris. I mean, I, I do sort of think that one of the one of the sadnesses about Rafa's career is the fact that he has this compulsion to work that he can't bring himself to wait. And talking to him about Everton sort of cap, you know captures that kind of quite neatly. In that you know to to, to him it was it's the city he lives in. It was a logical choice. He can make them better. But from anybody taking a step back, it's well, yeah, but it's it's Everton, and you were at Liverpool, and you gave them their most, you know, you gave them the one of the best moments of their lives with with the miracle at Istanbul and stuff like that. I don't know. I think he takes some. I think he takes some risky decisions. Put it that way. Yeah, I think I think you're right on that. I mean, it was a risky decision, even really to well to come to Newcastle in the first place. Obviously, they ended up going down, but he did then stay and bring them back up, which he said so many times was a risk as well. And then it turned out it was just he thought it was a risk too far to stay at Newcastle, having his relationship with with Mike Ashley having broken down uh, irreversibly. But unfortunately, he went to China and obviously didn't know that a pandemic was was going to take was going to happen, but didn't quite work out there. Then he's come back. And got the job in the Premier League that he wanted, but really, I think ninety nine point nine percent of of other people would have told him that that was almost inevitably going to end in disaster. So it it's difficult and and sad to see where he goes next because you look around the Premier League and you think unless someone unless you wait until the start of next season and a club maybe has a knee jerk sacking, then he might get a job there. But I think it's difficult to see where he's going to go in the short term in the Premier League, and he may have to go abroad again to sort of rebuild a reputation which should remain so strong because of what he has achieved at clubs with the lack of resources. I think that his career in that sense speaks for itself. It's just unfortunately, yeah, there have been some um, decisions that he's made which really have resulted almost like in self-harm for his own, his own career prospects. Yeah, and of course he was Amanda Staveley's first choice during her first attempts to buy the club, famously. He was part of all, all of those bids and um, they remained... Uh, they remained in in contact afterwards, and 
yeah, the the sort of the shame is that he you would have thought of him as the kind of perfect kind of manager for for what Newcastle need now, which is to grow on and off the pitch. But of course, with the way things going, the way things are going with Eddie Howe now, I can't imagine anybody would want to swap Eddie for anybody else. And um, it was very nice to hear Rafa uh, speak with such warmth about the club and the team, and also about Eddie and saying that um, now he's he's on the outside looking in, but with nothing but. Uh, fond, fond thoughts about the club. So, yeah, it was great to see him again. Great to chat to him. Great to sit with with Alan as well. And yeah, love you to have a read of it. Um, you can find that on the Athletic website. I recommend you read it as well. And I just wanted to say it was also wonderful to hear some of the things that Rafa often says just at the end of sentences when he goes, "That's it." I like it when he says, "That's it." After he after he says something, uh, he's got those little ticks where he just. Uh, he says, and that was what, so it was enjoyable hearing that again, and to hear him taking the piss out of you. I think that was my favourite moment. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's it. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right, all we've covered uh, the Premier League relegation zone in a way, uh, but we already know one of the teams who will be joining us in the top flight next year. Marco Silva's Fulham have sealed automatic promotion with the championship title a formality at this stage. And with Newcastle galloping clear of the relegation zone, that means egg on face for George Coggan as we welcome back the Athletics Fulham writer Pete Rutzler. Here's how George greeted him last time. It's not a great pleasure at all to welcome Pete to the show. This is Rutzler, the relegator. For people who don't know, and they really should, Pete got given the job of covering Bournemouth, they get relegated. He then gets the job of covering Fulham, they get relegated. And granted, Fulham are doing pretty well this season. Just the fact of him appearing on this show, like a reverse King Midas, everything he touches turns to shit, is an absolute cast-iron guarantee of Newcastle's relegation. So I don't know whose fault this is, but really, a dreadful decision. But apart from that, hello, Pete, and welcome. Oh dear, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. I was there was a lot of anger in me back then, Pete. I I I do apologise. I do apologise. I forgot how strong that was. I'd sort of you know let it go, but then then that's come back, and it's all all the trauma. No, of it, I know? reverse King Midas. George. I know. I surprised myself. I surprised myself. Anyway, <laughs> Rubs the relegator is no more. It's welcome to promotion, Pete. Yes. How how are you doing? And um, yes, please accept my apologies. Newcastle are fine, and Fulham are fine. Too. <laughs> Fulham are fine too. Yeah, an actual King Midas. It had a had a positive impact. Things have gone very well since then, haven't they? So uh, no, all good. All very happy to have ditched that tag anyway. Good, so, uh, good. Well, we'll see, we'll we'll see about next season, but we'll take that we'll take that when it comes. <laughs> While we've got you, there are a few a couple of things we would love to chat to you about. Alexander Mitrovic is is an obvious one, of course. Um, not so much on fire, but thermonuclear this season, <laughs> breaking all breaking all records. I mean, it's a horrible question to have to ask because the season's still going on. He's got 40, 40 goals, incredible. Is he now ready to to take the Premier League on? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big question, is it? That's what everyone is is thinking about now that Fulham are up and. Um, and have done so well, and 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 on the back of a, an extraordinary season, and and you'd have to say yes. I mean, that's you know, especially from when you're looking at it from a Fulham perspective. But I mean, there are a few things that have been different this year. Um, you know, he he seems to get on supremely well with with Marco Silva. Really suits the style of play. Um, gets the most out of a target man forward. Links play with his forwards really well, and and they're just so attacking overall. I mean, Fulham are. As we speak, they're a goal off a uh, hundred in the league this season. They'll be the first team since Kevin Keegan City to to breach the hundred mark. Um, that was back in oh one oh two, I think. Um, so 
being in that setup, being in that squad, having so many chances put on a plate for him is has just been a dream. And his confidence is sky high. He says he feels fitter. Um, there are lots of different elements to to what's made this year work. And next season under Silver, you you'd think that you know it will work again. It's going to be a different story. They're not going to be as dominant. He's not going to have as many chances. Um, but when you look back at at least his last two Fulham seasons in the Premier League. You know, they weren't easy seasons. The first time Fulham went through three managers, three very different managers, attacking Jokanovic, very defensive Ranieri, and then Scott Parker. He still scored 11 goals. Um, and then last year under Scott Parker, he was he was uh, not used at all, as we, we've talked about here on, on this podcast. So um, it does feel like it's different. And I mean, when you're, when you're scoring as many goals as he has, coupled with his strike rate for Serbia, he's the all-time leading goal scorer in their history. Um you have to think that he's going to do okay in the Premier League. And I think he'll be much more of an asset for Fulham in their hopes to, to stay up next season. Pete, just like the debate about Mitrovic, is he too good for the Championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League? I suppose the same question could be asked of Fulham in general, that it just seems that they're in Nor- they and Norwich just swap places every season. Is, is that going to be the case next year? Or do you think that there are more reasons to be positive for Fulham to, that can survive next year? Yeah, the uh, the old uh, yo-yo club that it's probably referred to. Um, there, there are lots of reasons to be positive, at least more positive um, than Fulham's last two promotions. Um, the last two were through the playoffs. Um, it required... I mean, you're de- dealing with a squad that's not the best in the second tier. This time, they've been comfortably comfortably the best um, this year. I mean, some good contenders, but Fulham have led the way pretty much from the start. Um, there's a good base, there's a good core to the squad. Um, young scorers, a young core as well. You know, Tyson Adrabai at centre half, Harrison Reed in, in midfield, Harry Wilson's come in and, and been very good, and then Mitrovic too. So you've got players who you can expect to, to still do well in the Premier League. But all of that said, you know they'll still need to improve, and you just have to see from the struggles of Norwich, Watford, um, you know even Leeds in the second season now. Um, Sheffield United went up and went down. It's 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 so difficult the gap between the top of the championship and sort of the middling Premier League group which is just an expanding group of clubs is uh, is enormous and you've got to get every decision right pretty much with recruitment um, and just hope that you, and hope you get the right bit of luck and, and then that things go the right way uh, I think Fulham have had a couple of bruising experiences in the Premier League there'll be experiences from which they'll have learnt a lot um, at least compared to last time they've got so much more time to prepare I mean, last time they were up they had 39 days between playoff final and winning uh, and the opening day of the season sorry and uh, this time they've got more than 100 days so you just have to they have to use that time wisely they have to recruit in the right way um, but it, it does feel like they're in a in a better spot and obviously the kind of big reason we got you on last time Pete was to talk about Eddie Howe because you covered Bournemouth when when he was there covered them for the Athletic um, it's just been astonishing really I mean take you know we know that they spent a lot of money in January, but the turnaround that Eddie's um, been in been in charge of has been extraordinary. He's also, though, I mean, it's not this isn't the sort of Eddie Howe that perhaps people saw at Bournemouth. You know, the attack-minded manager who would be doing that as a matter of principle. It's been an incredibly pragmatic spell. I think if you look at the stats, yeah, Newcastle were hammered uh, by Spurs a, a few games ago, but really, as, apart from that, you have to go back to the end of last year, for the last time they conceded more than one goal. Are you surprised at all that Howe has shown himself to be uh, capable of organising a team in such a defensive way too? I think the, de- the defensive element was probably the biggest question mark, I think, when, when we discussed last time, you know, when we looked at Bournemouth's five years you know, and the fact that they'd conceded so many goals, it was at least 60 in every season, wasn't it? So you you would naturally presume that that was, that was going to be an issue. And Maybe there is an element of surprise there, but I think even even remember I remember when I came when we we discussed this on the podcast and his experiences obviously dealing with high pressure situations with Bournemouth uh, when you're dealing with the existence of the club it just it just felt like it would suit them well and it's it, it was I've had this conversation a few times but with Eddie Howe it was when you're speaking to players who worked with him and they rave about him so much. You know, and it, it, that can happen a lot when you're doing a piece on a manager because people want to say the right things. You know, you, it, you're not always going to get people slating people, but it did always feel different. You know, you'd had so many individual examples of people who individually felt like they'd improved. And I think when you look at, sure, there's been recruitment and recruitment's played a part, but 
the, the individual improvements of some players. I mean, Joe Linton's the obvious one, but it goes, as you guys will know, much much more beyond that. Um, it, it didn't take too much, but those those that individual improvement of the players has improved the collective. And um, it's been... I, I, I'm not surprised that he's done as well as he has because for so long, I think, especially those on the South Coast, have been saying, this guy's good. This guy's a good coach. Um, and it's it's nice, actually, that he's been given the chance to do that with a, with a higher profile and... Um, yeah, it's interesting to see where he takes it from here. But yeah, the defensive side, I would say that was definitely a surprise for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, uh, before we finish up, uh, any other business? Uh, we've got Liverpool at the weekend. That is the real quiz, of course. Uh, George, what, what's your thoughts ahead of Liverpool? It's a tough game, isn't it? I mean, it's not going to be as easy as uh, as Norwich was, that's for sure. No, but um, I, I've got this kind of I've got early season feelings of anger coming back, Taylor. I have to be honest because it's just absolute <laughs> nonsense. Well, it's nonsense that Newcastle are ninth in the Premier League. What well, I mean, how has that happened? I'm not, I'm not. I'm almost not being ironic at this point as well because if Newcastle are ninth, why did we? Why were we going through all this shit in August and September and October? Oh, that's it. I mean, it's like the league table never lies, George, does it? Unless it, apart from when it does, it's making a mockery of this podcast. <laughs> Newcastle United are making a mockery of this podcast. Oh, they've done that for a few years now. Well, I mean, they have. I mean, they they make a mockery of us, but it's like if Newcastle finish ninth. It's like, well, that's been a great season. That's been a good season, hasn't it? What a fantastic season. And it hasn't. It's been, no. it's been absolutely shit for t- for a lot of it. And okay, fine. It's, I mean, it is that sort of proper season of two halves. But I'm sort of angry now. I'm getting a bit angry. I mean, I don't want Newcastle to lose. I mean, I'm enjoying it. But it's like, it's, it's sort of a bit much, isn't it not now? A bit much. It's just getting stupid. It's almost like you think, well, actually, lads, that's enough now. Yeah. Stop taking the piss. Yeah. You've had your fun. Time to go back to some some kind of normality. This is getting silly. Chris said a couple of weeks ago that he thought it would be sort of strange if Newcastle finished in the top ten. And I don't even th- I don't think I took that seriously as a as a thing even then. I mean, I don't take Chris seriously yeah. at all. But I mean, it's like now that it sort of happened, I'm, it is making me quite cross because it just absolutely <laughs> it's just taking the piss now. It's like taking the piss. <laughs> well, we should, we should, we should, we should, what we should do is we should write the Premier League and ask them to change to calendar years. Because if it was calendar years, 2021 was absolutely dreadful yeah. for Newcastle. They won eight Premier League games. They've already won two more Premier League games in 2022 than they did in the whole of 2021. So, hang on. so they'd be second to be second in the Champions table. Oh, let's, places do, if, if yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. And fine. that is taking the piss. That is taking the piss. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Fair play. Fair play. Um, Thanks for that, George. Uh, I didn't think anyone could react angrily to an unprecedented run of wins, but somehow you've managed it, uh, and I know you have to dash off, so we'll let you go. Uh, I can't be late for Alan from work. Chris, uh, we end as we began, in tandem again, just me and you, just the two of us. Uh, Hopefully you can answer the question George completely disregarded there. Uh, Liverpool coming up, tricky opposition, one of the best teams in the world, but uh, Eddie Samba Mags even slightly afraid of them now? Well, they shouldn't be. The, the, the well, <laughs> Liverpool are the only team who've acu- who've accumulated more points in 2022 than Newcastle United. So I don't think that they will have any. I think Liverpool will actually be looking at this game concerned in terms of Newcastle, the atmosphere at St James's Park at the moment. Six wins in a row at St James's, four in in general in terms of the last matches, home and away, but six wins in a row there. It didn't look like Newcastle had tailed off by any stretch at Norwich, and I, I think that the players will be really up for this one, and we'll see maybe how far Newcastle have come in terms of how they can handle opposition like this, because they struggled against Man City in December, but we're four months on, they're so much more defensively solid, there were nervy moments for Liverpool against Everton, when Everton were, who haven't been as defensively solid as Newcastle, they they did frustrate them at times, and so... 
I think this is a fascinating match. Absolutely fascinating. The ground will be bouncing. It will. 12.30 kickoff maybe isn't ideal in that sense, although obviously Liverpool have to, to play midweek on Wednesday before they then play on Saturday and then Wednesday again. They've got their massive Champions League matches. So Newcastle will have had a week to rest up and be ready for that match. And I do I do th- I, I, I fancy them to, to give Liverpool a very, very difficult game. And I don't think Jurgen Klopp and his side will be looking forward to it. How do you think they, they get at Liverpool and what does Eddie Howe do? Or does he change anything uh, personnel-wise or shape-wise in order to get at Liverpool? I mean, Everton did pretty well in the first half. They, you know, they were a nuisance and they, they got stuck in. Um, and it, it kind of plays to our strengths, I suppose, doesn't it, of, of being the underdog in this one? What do you think the approach is? I think that Newcastle will basically play how they have played in the last... Similar to how they played against Leicester. Let Liverpool have some of the ball. Frustrate them. Uh, being make sure they're tight defensively, but then look to use the likes of Alan Saint Maximan on the break. It was interesting that at Anfield in December, Eddie Howe rested Callum Wilson and actually played Alan Saint Maximan through the middle. And Newcastle started that game it was well like a false, he played yeah. like a false nine, didn't like he? A false yeah. nine. Whether he that was obviously very early in the Eddie Howe era that was before they'd sort of developed the style they do now and Chris Wood's become an important player so I don't think that you'll see massive changes from the teams that have played at home I think that you'll see probably a similar side to the one that played against Leicester and Crystal Palace I think you restore those players to it um, and probably have the, the midfield three that, that started those uh, two matches and just really uh, try and frustrate Liverpool and try and get use set pieces as they have done so effectively to try and get the win. Absolutely. Where are we with injuries at the minute? Has, uh, has anybody came through the weekend with a knock or anyone uh, unsure? There were some tired bodies. That was part of the reason why Howe made the changes that he did. That was why Wood was was, was on the bench. Obviously, Shares had a long-term groin problem. So was Joe Linton and was taken off relatively early again. They should be manageable and, and through to next week. There had been at one point the hope that Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson may be back for this match. I certainly don't think Wilson will be. I think Trippier is unlikely as well and, and Newcastle don't need to risk them either so they're not going to bring them back too early. So I think it's going to be a similar squad to one they have here. Ryan Fraser won't be back though either. Fair play. Uh, and the day after that, uh, Newcastle United lasses take on Anik at St James's Park. Uh, a massive, a historic game. It's, 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 it's great to see the lasses getting a a run out uh, at the stadium uh, and a huge game now as well for them after they've had a tricky patch and uh, I would suggest everybody get down there and support them Chris it should be a good day definitely yeah I mean this was initially uh, supposed to be against Barnsley but there's been a change of, of fixture so Anik Town actually I think have given up their home fixture so they can play at St James's Park wow. in this one the programme for the Liverpool game is going to be a double programme where you can flip it from one side to the other so it's going to be for the, for the men and the women Excellent. and yeah it's a, it's a really big occasion for them the first match there hopefully the first of many going forward and, and we wish them the best of luck just to see if they can try and sneak back in the promotion places because Liverpool Feds have taken control of the league so hopefully they can get a win and that'll push them back towards the promotion places Absolutely. Right then, that's it, Chris. Thanks very much uh, for your time and thanks to George as well from all of us uh, here at Pod on the Tine. We hope you have a lovely week and don't forget our special offer. You can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month right now at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take it easy. Speak to you soon. Uh, And thanks to all of you out there listening. We shall speak to you in a little while. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.